The Island Digest is a sampling of the stories in this week's Journal of the San Juans, Island Sounder, and Islands Weekly, which are on newsstands now. The August 24th edition is brought to you by Orcas Center and Orcas Island Healthcare District. Headlines from the week of August 24th, 2022. Food Bank Expanding. Aaron White is giving back. Lopez Artists' studio tour marks a quarter century. Court orders county to place Charter Review Commission propositions on ballot. Plus, choice excerpts from the Sheriff's Log. In local headlines, from the Journal of the San Juan Islands, Food Bank Expanding by Heather Spaulding. The Friday Harbor Food Bank celebrated breaking ground to begin its expansion August 12th. A crowd of approximately 20 people watched as Rochelle Radonsky, the food bank manager, and board president Jose Dominic posed with shovels. The size of the turnout shows how much community support there is, Dominic said, thanking the attendees for turning out. Bill Cummings couldn't be here today, but he really got the project going, Dominic said, giving kudos to the former board president. Dominic continued to explain that the food bank need doubled during the pandemic, and that need has not fallen. In fact, Radonsky told the journal after the event that the county housing crisis has led to a new type of customer. Those who have jobs on the island and therefore do not want to move but have been forced out of their homes and therefore no longer have cooking capability. There has been an increase in what we call the houseless population, Radonsky said. As the housing crisis continues, that need will remain. Local architect Dave Waldron donated his time to the project and has volunteered to help with the interior layout as well. He told the crowd he was moved by the need he saw after taking on the project. It was a real eye-opener to see the volume of food that goes through here, said Waldron. The expansion will provide room for more food storage and create a more private waiting room for customers. While the farmer's market feel during the warmer months will be maintained, there will now be more indoor space during the cold seasons, according to Dominic. It will continue having an inviting look, Dominic said, adding that there will also be an improved customer experience due to the additional space. Radonsky noted that the construction will not interrupt the food bank's regular hours. Do not be afraid of the construction, she said. Our hours will remain the same. It was actually one of the biggest hurdles figuring out how to do the expansion while maintaining our usual service. Part of the expansion includes additional freezer space. In order to purchase industrial freezers, the Friday Harbor Food Bank asked for $10,000 in donations through the San Juan Island Community Foundation's Fair Giving Campaign. These freezers will help nourish the community with quality frozen foods, Radonsky said. Islanders can donate via their website, fridayharborfoodbank.weebly.com. Dominic closed his comments by thanking donors, as well as the food bank's neighbors and partners, 
the Joyce Sobel Family Resource Center, and Mullis Senior Center. Jennifer Armstrong, director of the Family Resource Center, and Anna Kaufelt, director of the Mullis Senior Center, were in attendance showing their support. You have been very helpful, and we couldn't have done it without you, he said. From the Island's Sounder, Erin White is giving back. Orcas Woman with Autism Volunteers at Seattle Homeless Shelter by Colleen Smith There is a simple reason why Erin White wants to lend a hand to those in need. She says it feels good. White, who is 21 and has autism, has been spending her time giving back to struggling families through volunteer work at a Seattle homeless shelter. After graduating from Orcas Island High School three years ago, Erin began taking classes at the Alyssa Burnett Adult Life Center in Bothell, Washington. She switched to online courses at the onset of COVID, but began attending again in person this past January. While at home during the pandemic, White became interested in assisting the homeless and wanted to donate a large portion of money she had saved from working at a local farm. She and her mom, Tess, began researching shelters online and discovered Mary's Place, a nonprofit organization that operates five emergency family shelters in King County. After Erin learned that it provides specialty bags and kits for its clients, she started building Baby's Best Start Bags, which are filled with items like diapers, wipes, and ointment. Initially, the Whites purchased the contents themselves, but after Erin created an Amazon wish list and they posted it on Facebook, the community stepped forward in a big way. We were getting boxes every day, her dad Greg remembers. We didn't know what was coming or who sent it. It was part of the fun. Three of Aaron's former teachers, Suzanne McClure, Kathy Staub, and Susan Stolmeyer, quilted baby blankets to include in the bags as well. After putting together the kits at home, Aaron delivered them in person to Mary's place. It was such a positive experience that Greg arranged for his daughter to help out at the Kenmore facility on a weekly basis. It's just a few miles from her classes at the Alyssa Burnett Center, so it's perfect, he said. Erin said she does whatever needs to be done, which includes sorting clothes, cleaning the kitchen and putting together hair care bags, COVID isolation kits, and welcome home baskets for clients who have secured housing. According to her parents, Erin has previously required a job coach to assist her with employment endeavors. But at Mary's place, the volunteer coordinator supports Erin by implementing a visual schedule to help her complete tasks and connects with Tess and Greg regularly. I'm so proud of her. Everything about this has been her own idea, Greg said. Erin is still working to gather more items and she has two wish lists on Amazon, Baby's Best Start Bags and Multicultural Hair Care Kits. For links to those lists, visit islandssounder.com and see this article. Greg drives Erin to Seattle each week for school and volunteering. Her current classes are story writing, elements of art, and physical education. 
Students at the center also participate in outings a few times a month for such activities as rock climbing, working with therapy horses, and riding bikes. As a realtor, Greg has a flexible work schedule and is Erin's primary caregiver during this phase of her life. They are traveling to Las Vegas in the fall to accompany Greg's aunt as she's inducted into a Hall of Fame for basketball coaches. Tess is an educator for the Toddler Learning Center, which is based in Oak Harbor and serves San Juan County. She works with special needs kids from ages birth to three. The couple's other children are 23-year-old Grayson, who just bought his first house in Michigan and is completing his Ph.D. in forestry and statistics, and Willow, 18, who is heading off to Reed College next week. One of Greg's favorite moments was while he was standing outside the shelter waiting for Aaron to finish her shift. I saw a client with one of the baby bags Aaron had created. It was zebra-printed and filled with stuff. It was really cool to see that, he said. From the Islands Weekly, Lopez Artists Studio Tour Marks a Quarter Century by Stephen R. Hill This year, 2022, marks the 25th year the artists of Lopez Island will be opening their studio doors to invite the public to see firsthand not only what, but why and how they create their artwork. It is an event that began at informal art gatherings originally held at Grayling Gallery, which was the first significant working and exhibition venue for artists on the island. Opened in 1974, Grayling Gallery was founded, financed, and operated by legendary artist Shirley Wright, Bern Sundell, and myself as business partners when the three of us moved to Lopez Island from Pullman, Washington, specifically to build and establish a private art school and gallery venue for artists on Lopez Island. Then, 50 years ago, we could only find four other practicing artists living on Lopez Island. We made a point to visit and get to know each of those artists, as much for professional support as for camaraderie on a remote island. Why on earth would anyone move to an island to try to start a private art school? One word. Passion. After our first visit, when we fell in love with the place, we felt strongly we could fulfill a dream to make an art school work on the island. There were just over 1,000 people on Lopez then. Most were farmers, fishermen, retired folks, hippies, free spirits, and about a dozen school teachers at Lopez School for all grades 1 through 12. Two small grocery stores were here with three small restaurants slash bars, forming the backbone of the social strata, where folks went for dinners, to party, and gather socially. Sunset Builders Supply, along Center Road, a small lumber and hardware supply store had formerly been located at the huge old building, Yost Millworks, that Shirley Wright had purchased for the art school. A small medical clinic had just been built, and there was a tiny post office marking the north and west boundary of the village, which had more open fields and pasture land than commercial anything. That was it. Everyone, I mean 
absolutely everyone waved at each other when cars passed on the road, a social tradition that has somehow managed to survive, albeit in a fragile way. It should come to us as no surprise that a group of three artists who announced they would soon change the fabric of this small island by building an art center became much discussed. We quickly learned that if you hadn't heard a daily rumor by 10 a.m., it was your civic duty to get out there and start one. It took more than three years to actually launch the art school and gallery, plus another two decades to really put it on the map. Artists started coming to the island, with many, past and present, getting their start at the old Grayling Gallery, either renting studio spaces, teaching classes, or just hanging out with other artists. Shirley passed away in 1996, the same year as the first studio tour that started with a handful of artists who wanted to maintain an annual event to maintain a presence after Grayling closed its doors. In the past quarter century, the Labor Day weekend studio tour has not only survived, but indeed prospered as the largest annual art event on Lopez Island, with crowds in the hundreds visiting and buying multi-thousands of dollars worth of artwork over the Labor Day weekend. More than just a gallery walk or a series of art sales, the studio tour has broadened the public's perception of what it's like to be an artist through the many hands-on demonstrations that participating artists provide, as well as art education opportunities for visitors in the privacy of their studios, where it all happens year-round. As 34 artists at 26 studios celebrate a quarter century with this year's self-guided tour on September 3rd and 4th, they wish to thank the Lopez community for its unwavering support of the arts on Lopez Island. A celebratory invitation is extended to the public for the annual preview party to see a sampling of artwork at the Lopez Center for the Community and Arts on Friday, September 2nd, from 5 to 7 p.m. When you say it out loud, Lopez Center for the Community and Arts has a pleasant ring to it, reminding us all that we live in a very special place. The Lopez Artist Guild members and volunteers spend hundreds of hours each year to make this annual event a success. Please join us on Labor Day weekend to kick back and relax Lopez style as you witness firsthand all of the fabulous artwork, and meet the artists of all disciplines who open their studios to you. In county news, court orders county to place Charter Review Commission propositions on ballot by Kelly Balcom Bartok. Island County Superior Court Judge Kristen C. Skinner ordered San Juan County the San Juan County Council and the San Juan County Auditor to place four propositions submitted by the Charter Review Commission on the November 2022 ballot. Judge Skinner presided over the case due to San Juan County Superior Court Judge Catherine Loring and her staff's previous involvement in proceedings with the CRC. After an approximately hour-long hearing on Monday, August 15th, 
Judge Skinner found that the county council erroneously refused to refer the proposed charter amendments to the auditor for inclusion on the November general election ballot. In his decision, filed by the court on August 16th, Judge Skinner wrote, The council's decision not to refer the four proposed amendments submitted in December of 2021 was contrary to the terms of the Charter and amounts to a ballot error that should be corrected. Additionally, the Court found that the Council's decision not to accept the CRC's propositions based upon the belief that any further submissions by the CRC after their first submission was contrary to the terms of the Charter and amount to a ballot error that should be corrected. There is no provision or prohibition in the Charter that precludes members of the CRC from submitting proposals for amendments to the Charter in more than one batch. During the hearing, Judge Skinner was particularly interested in making the distinction between first and final submissions, stating that it seemed very clear that the CRC's intention was to submit their recommendations in two batches. County attorneys argued that the CRC's initial submission of ballot proposals received in July of 2021 and put on the November 2021 ballot was final, and the second batch was invalid due to procedural errors. Judge Skinner determined that the CRC made it clear to the Council that its first submissions of six proposed amendments for consideration by the voters in the November 2021 election was but one of two packets that would be submitted during the CRC members' term as Commission members. Accordingly, the CRC members' terms did not expire at the time since the first submission was not a final submission of proposed amendments. The counsel and prosecuting attorney were aware or should have been aware of the legal significance of the CRC's email communication submitted with its first set of proposed amendments, Judge Skinner continued. No one advised or suggested the members of the commission were wasting their time or that any future referrals would be rejected. Judge Skinner acknowledged the council waited until August 2nd to make its decision to reject the last four proposed amendments. Not only was this conclusion erroneous in the court's view, but it was also not the council's decision to make. While the court determined an error in the ballot was about to occur, the court did not address the issue of the Open Public Meetings Act violation raised by petitioners, quote, since it was not necessary to do so in arriving at this decision. Following the court's decision and order, the San Juan County Auditor's Office is actively in the process of taking all steps necessary to ensure the propositions appear on the November ballot. This includes preparing ballot titles for each of the propositions and preparing both pro and con statements to the four propositions submitted by the CRC for the voters' pamphlet. In addition, the county's attorney has been ordered to prepare concise statement portions of the ballot titles. And now, choice excerpts from the San Juan County Sheriff's Log. On August 10th, an anonymous person turned in a small white pouch containing an unknown substance to the San Juan County Sheriff's Office. 
Not knowing who the unidentified substance belonged to, it was placed into the property room for destruction. A San Juan deputy responded to a report of a runaway juvenile. The deputy located the juvenile, notified the parents, and counseled the juvenile regarding their behavior and ways to cope with difficulties. On August 11th, an Orcas deputy investigated vandalism to several parcel lockers inside the post office. A San Juan deputy investigated a report of theft at a local business and recovered the items. The subject was arrested for theft in the third degree and issued a trespass notice for the business. On August 12th, a deputy on Orcas responded to a report of a person attempting to gain access to a tent. After investigation, it was determined the culprit was likely a raccoon. A deputy responded to a theft of property call in East Sound. The owner was unsure when the items were possibly taken out of their yard, and there are no suspects at this time. San Juan deputies responded to a report of trespassing involving two people camping on private property and told them to leave. One individual was issued a citation for discarding lit cigarette ash, potentially dangerous litter. A deputy in Friday Harbor responded to a third-party report of verbal threats from unknown persons walking by two other people's residences sometime within the past couple of days. The words suspect and other people involved are unknown at this time. An Orcas deputy responded to an animal-at-large call. The person calling alleged she was almost trampled by a stampede of loose horses. The owners of the animals were contacted and the animals were corralled safely. On August 13th, San Juan deputy stopped the driver of a vehicle for traveling 45 miles per hour in a posted 25 mile per hour speed zone. The driver was issued a citation for speeding and was warned for failing to update their address. On August 14th, a deputy was dispatched to a report of an unconscious person on San Juan. The deputy arrived after San Juan EMS had responded. The person had only been sleeping next to the road. On August 15th, a Lopez resident complained about speeding vehicles on the road in front of his residence. The radar trailer was placed in the area. This concludes the August 24th edition of the Island Digest. This edition is brought to you by Orcas Center and Orcas Island Healthcare District. Orcas Center is presenting a free summer concert series in the Village Green in East Sound running through August. Learn more at orcascenter.org. Orcas Island Healthcare District which provides financial support to Island Health Primary Care Orcas. After-hours care for those in need of medical services is available by calling 360-376-2561. For more information, visit orcashealth.org backslash after-hours. Thank you for listening to the Island Digest. 
A small sampling of what's in your local print newspapers this week. The Journal, Sounder, and Weekly rely upon advertising, subscriptions, and donations to support our mission of high-quality community journalism. To contribute, visit our websites or email publisher Colleen Smith-Summers at csmith at soundpublishing.com. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for more local news from San Juan County.